Welcome to Interscription. Today on the pod, we talk about streaming services, some of what we're watching and enjoying, what's going on in our lives, home servers, and more. Stay tuned, make sure you subscribe, and like our show. We look forward to hearing from you. So what's, what is your hell week? It seems like you've been... My hell week, man, let me tell you, uh, I, uh, I don't know how much we've talked about our day gigs uh, on the pod, but I, uh, I'm a systems engineer by trade and I, boy, I have had a couple of projects going concurrently. Uh, one is we've had a very kind of slow moving, uh, migration from a, an older, uh, windows domain to a newer one. Uh, uh, there's just, boy, it's like moving out of a house, uh, with a garage. Like there's just an awful lot of things you just forgot about on the way out the door. <laughs> and, um, I have, uh, I have just been having a heck of a time with it. And, uh, there's, uh, there's just not a ton of folks that have had the institutional knowledge to go from the old to the new. Um, and that is one of the, the things having been with the company of uh, my day job for, in its very incarnations for 12 years now. Uh, so uh, knowing where a lot of the uh, virtual bodies are buried and uh, knowing how to get everything moved over is, uh, is, is, is uh, kind of the blessing and curse of, of having this particular project go on. But, uh, so that's been really big, really trying to get some points on the board for that, get that finished. Um, and then uh, we also have brand new hardware. I had actually flown down to Texas uh, last year to get a lot of that propped up and, um, it's, uh, as, uh, my boss eloquently put it, it is sitting in the rack doing a whole bunch of nothing right now. So we want to make it do something. Uh, so. fantastic. Yeah. I, I mean, you've shown me the digital waste that happens at a company of this size where, you know, they have stuff doing nothing. They have stuff that could be doing everything. They're just going to pull it out and put it in a dumpster and, you know, incredibly high powered blades that are just uh, going to get recycled otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a uh, really such a complicated com complicated calculus. Whew, that one's a tough one. Compulate, oh, com, com, I don't know. I'm just going to pick different words. Let's say uh, difficult calculus. Uh, it's uh, where you have to kind of figure out, you know, if the hardware you have on hand versus the hardware you're budgeted to buy is, you know, how you spend the money that you're allocated every year, and uh, you know, forecasting for you know what expansion you're going to need and um, all that is just as much art as it is science I've, I've found. But uh, um, in any case, we're, it's uh, it's just a lot of those projects all kind of hit the pavement this, 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 uh, this, this week and last week, some next week, some, but definitely this week. And uh, I am tired uh, after doing all that. Um, and mm-hmm. I made such a responsible decision last night. Uh, and I decided that after going shopping and purchasing a delicious box of fruity pebbles, mm-hmm. that I would have two enormous bowls of fruity pebbles right before bed. And, um, it's, I brain, fuel. Say, it's brain fuel. Like I, I, I did solve a lot of things last night, but, uh, <laughs> chief, not among those was sleeping. Uh, I was up, uh, <laughs> like every hour on the hour, just terrible heartburn. It was just, uh, uh, something for 20 years ago, me that doesn't really fly anymore. Uh, lots of, 
that's a acid reflux and heartburn not in a, not a not a good night uh so um i have scotch taped it together with all of the coffee today i feel definitely I enough love that it. you and i are going to get through a, a nice solid hour and uh we're gonna fade the lights to black and i'm just gonna pass out on this desk and i'll i'll be here next week when we uh, record <laughs> i think that's absolutely perfect I'm not going to pitch my Kashi peanut butter crunch on you for heartburn improvement, but I understand that cereal is supposed to be a trash food that you eat because it's delicious and never because it's good for you. And I have probably cost us any future sponsorship to Magic Spoon, just in saying that, but (laughs) I'm going to stand by it. (laughs) yeah, it's not. It's like ramen. It's not supposed to be good for you. You know, it's there because it's the only thing in the house, and you've got a little bit of milk and just a giant bowl of sugar chips. That's it. You want to do that until you can't do it anymore, right? Absolutely. So um, today, I think we're going to talk a little bit about streaming services. Uh, get into the state. There's a, a ton of interesting stories that broke actually in the last hour or so, uh, both with. Um, uh, Warner Discovery pulling CNN Plus and uh, Netflix is just in free fall. And it seemed like a really good time to come back and have us talk a little bit about home servers and uh, what you can do to make sure you can still watch the shows that you want to watch, uh, despite there being, you know, 18 different streaming services that you have to sign up for. Um, so I wanted to share before we jumped into that, though, uh, so every, I think once a month, we have uh, somebody come into our house and help us deep clean. Uh, my wife and I both work full time, two kids, first world of problems. You, you know, we've decided to put some of those resources in to just do like the the baseboards, all of the deep like dusting and cleaning that uh, we can't do. And I, I swear to God that uh, there's just a tinfoil hat, paranoia conspiracy theory that I have because every time... After this team comes in, I go to turn on the TV and it doesn't work. And I look and the IR blaster is like rolled up in the dining room instead of next to the TV. (laughs) And so like, it's always, it's always something. And it just, I don't think it's intentional. I I think the reality is just, you know, they're dusting. They're not really thinking about, you know, this is a very thin, very fragile ecosystem that Rich has put together to make sure that we can hopefully watch TV when we want to with the push of a button. And, you know, we're still waiting on that sofa baton review, but like every day it seems like it just gets harder to come home and watch a freaking show. And so last night we sat down and Steph was trying to turn on the TV and it wasn't working. And I went in and Inside my TV cabinet, the IR blaster that I have to control the receiver was all displaced, but like they're not even dusting in there. Like they, they just uh, are just messing with me now. And, and stuff said, oh, I can, I don't know. It's uh, really, I don't think they're doing that on purpose. And so we go upstairs and it's the end of the night. And like you, I was already just beat to death. Like I was done. Uh, the night before, as you know, we did some IT work at my office as well. You were remote and we were getting everything done. So I was just wrapping that. So I was already late getting home. So by the time it was bedtime, I just wanted my, I just wanted my tellies. I just wanted to watch a show and go to bed. And I went to turn on the TV. Nothing happened. I started looking around to see what was going on. And the Apple TV was unplugged. And 
and unplugged. the HDMI cord for it was unplugged. And the TV, the um, LG OLED, it's a, a couple generations old, but it's got a rocker on it. So it's got like a four-way and that's how you would change input. So if it's not on the right input, I'm like trying all of the inputs, ripping everything out. The Xbox is gone. Everything's unplugged. Like I just give me a main line to my TV. I don't know where the remote is. I never have to use a remote. That's not a problem I have. And the rocker was broken. Up and down was working fine, but left and right was not working at all. And so I finally got the right combination of the one active HDMI input with the one thing that I wanted to plug in and was able to watch TV last night, but I was just, I was arms folded, just pouting, like throwing up and, you know, this stuff is just like, I don't know, like, I don't think they're doing it on purpose. Like, do, do you want me to fire them? And then I'll just do all the cleaning. And I'm like, no, like I get what she's saying, internalizing all of it. And like, right. that's, that's not an option for us to be responsible adults. So let's just take <laughs> that off the table <laughs> right now. Yep. And she texted me today that she fixed it. And you've worked in tech long enough to know that when you hear how it was fixed, I'm just going to have to get a new hobby because mm -hmm. she unplugged it and plugged it back in. And the rocker's working just fine. So probably just an, a very awful coincidence that that happened at the same time, or maybe they knocked into something. But, it, you know, if my wonderful spouse is able to solve tech problems in the house by unplugging things and plugging back in and has learned my secret, I'm going to have to find a line of work and be way more valuable in other areas around that's the a, house. That's a, that's a, yeah. like I, I am going to have to get that duster out and start, you know, stepping up. That's right. Yeah. You better learn baseboards and quick. Yeah. I, uh, I, I do. Uh, I, it's funny because I, I, I think in all the time I've done, you know, IT, that's, you know, been my trade since, oh, what, 17, 18 years old. And, I think the it's so overstated and understated the whole idea of you know did a reboot fixed it fix it yes or no and I I, uh, I have been uh, you know and I, I, I it, there's always this kind of wrestling that you have to do with folks that like really do sort of not look down upon the the idea of tech but they you know also are not really too sure what it is you're doing over there so then when they see you unplug and plug something back in and that fixed it like they severely reduce their opinions of you of like you know <laughs> oh okay so you just take the power out and put it back in like i could do that with a microwave um and it you know i just um just really something. Uh, yeah, I, uh, a good friend of mine from a long, long time ago, I remember him uh, uh, telling me he was a plumber by trade and uh, he had uh, talked about uh, one of the toughest things that he would do is, you know, people would call a plumber because the toilet's backed up and, uh, you know, they, you know, pretty standard call for plumbers and he would show up and he has the snake, right? And so he'd put the snake in and he would drop it in, he'd in, out, done, fixed, he'd be done and he'd hand them some obscene bill you know for his time and his ability to know that that's what needed to happen and the one tool he has that they don't and uh he had several stories of folks around the area that 
just just refused to pay and he would he would stay there and you know call the authorities and wait for somebody to show up and you know because it, <laughs> it was like the most simple thing in the world and uh in my entire career of it i've always thought back to the plumber story and the fact that you know sometimes you are just rebooting it sorry that you didn't know to do that sorry that looks really simple but you know <laughs> that's it but but now uh, yeah your spouse knows the uh the secrets of gray skill uh, skull i am so sorry that's, it is uh, fixed it's all good so that's why we're going to talk about um streaming services so we can you know have some sort of myth of authority uh so there's really you know there were like three bits that all came down today or you know close to today that i just think really underscores the chaos that's happening in the streaming world as a lot of the traditional media companies are catching up with Netflix and Hulu. Not that Hulu was ever not owned by a conglomerate, but it was a very smart startup idea where all of these individual media companies said, you know, if we're going to compete with Netflix, let's just pool our resources. We'll have our one service. And, you know, now everybody's getting into the game so the first thing I wanted to chat about and get your take on, um, Netflix is bleeding users uh, left and right. Uh, they're in free fall. Stock is down 47%. I'm sure your stepbrother is just salivating over, you know, the, the crashing of the stock price. Uh, and, you know, Reed Hastings is pointing to two things that he's recommending that they're going to do. The first thing is adding an ad-based tier that's still going to be a paid tier, but that's going to have ads in Netflix. And the second is cracking down on power users who are sharing their accounts. Yeah. And um, maybe do kind of that in reverse. First of all, on the account sharing, where do you fall on that? Uh, super interesting, by the way, in, in my in my day gig, uh, guy that works in Texas, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, I remember having a conversation with him Wow, this was just before the pandemic hit, uh, right around then. And uh, I remember him saying that these are the only two moves that Netflix has. And he said it years ago, and I was thinking about it, and I was like, wow, that's something. But then, you know, years went by, and they really ha haven't had the sort of financial trouble they're dealing with, you know, and or that's being publicized this week, right, as a, as a, as a public company. Uh, and... Uh, so it's funny to hear like the two things he suggested a couple of years ago being the two things that are, you know, what Netflix is going to do. So I don't know, maybe he met them on the golf course, who knows, but um, the, uh, yeah, first of all, w w when it comes to the idea of, of the uh, password sharing, cracking down on that, I think that that's always been uh, exceedingly simple, right? Like, I mean, you can go directly in the settings and in, in your Netflix client on just about any of them and it surfaces your IP. A, a vast majority of the folks that use Netflix, uh, you know, well in excess of north of 90, 90 plus percent of the folks, uh, aren't going to use a VPN or anything weird that's going to mask their IP or change it. So the IP they have is going to give a general idea of the location. Uh, that they're in, right? So, you know, the, they will see that I'm somewhere in Pennsylvania using Comcast and so on and right. so forth. Um, so the technology really hasn't not been there, right? Um, and furthermore, even with VPNs, it would be particularly uh, difficult for folks to forward their VPN to uh, pretend to be in the same household where Netflix is being uh, 
actually homed out of the, for the people who right. are paying for right. it. Um, so even if they had done that, it would still show that they're, you know, they're still not in the same household and yet using the same login. So I think that this has been there for a very, 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 very long time. And this, this, technology hasn't been hard to come by um you know th companies that are much smaller and much less technologically savvy than, than netflix have certainly been able to lock things down into households into ips so on and so forth um so i think i think that this is probably this one's tough for me because i think that there has been uh when it comes to netflix i do think that there has been a a um I think that 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 the the password sharing that has happened for them has been uh, a more of a boon for them from a marketing perspective. I, I really do think that's the case um, because I I do think um, you know in a couple of situations in my personal life I can I can point to I, I've you know uh, seen folks who have you know uh, log have lost a Netflix account and have, you know, created their own and, and, and so on and so forth. Because it, once they lost the ability to get to whatever Netflix was like not having Netflix in the house was never an option. Um, so right. I think that even in the times of that password sharing, I think that that has certainly made it. Um, I think that has proved its value to the people who are using it so that when the time comes along invariably that somebody turns off their account then somebody else, you know, signs up for one just so that they can continue to, to consume the content. Um, so I think that, uh, I think that that hasn't really hurt their bottom line quite as much. Um, so this one in particular feels reactionary to me. Um, I feel like it, we, I'm sure we're going to have have some conversation, whether we land on it today or some other day, where um, sometimes that sort of idea of like, uh, particularly with public companies, that if you're not reporting growth quarter over quarter, then that means you are completely and, and totally uh, a failure as a company, right? I think that that's a that's a, a, a that's a tough place to be, right? Because I think at some point, you know, companies don't have to be growing quarter over quarter. They just need to be healthy and sustained, right? Um, so right. I, I, I feel like this quarter being a bad quarter and all of the, the sort of panic that's going along with it is kind of tough. So I feel like um, I feel like them being this reactionary over a single bad quarter in this way is, is probably not their best, uh, their best move. Um, so I, I think the technology has been there for a while. I just think that they have to react because they're, they're being a publicly held company or they're, they're getting a ton of heat about what they're going to do. Um, so that freaks me out a little bit. Yeah, it, it does make sense. And, you know, we've talked about family plans with Game Pass as well and moving in that direction. It feels like some of the over the top live streaming services have this better where what they're metering is the number of simultaneous streams. Because, uh, you know, on the one hand, if I have, you know, uh, my mom's house and she doesn't use Netflix at all, but I'm going to use it when I'm up there and I have our place or I'm, you know, tuning into Netflix at work because it's a slow day or I'm just out of energy, then, you know, all of that's great. And it feels like the sort of thing that Netflix could much better monetize by just saying, hey, if you want an additional remote stream, we don't care who's set up with the account, but, you know, here's two or three dollars extra a month for the privilege of, you know, having two simultaneous streams. Because as long as there's only one account streaming at any given time, 
it's plausible that it's you moving from location to location. But as soon as it's you're, you know, in South Korea and at home at the same time, you're probably sharing that account. And so that's where we're going to charge you a surcharge, not a full extra account, because like you said, it's a marketing boon that there's this flexibility and all of these services let you set up profiles. So you're not even in each other's hair. Uh, so it feels like you're right. It's definitely reactionary. They're freaking out a tiny bit and uh, we'll see where they end up. The, you know, the other piece of it was the adding an ad based here. And I don't know, man, a, cheaper is always great. I'm sure there is some subset of people who don't want to pay the baseline price for Netflix and would be enticed to pay $5 a month plus ads. But I just, I feel like in all of these services, especially the paid ones, even if there's a paid tier with ads and a more expensive tier without ads, the ad experience is just so debilitating to the whole joy of having a streaming service in the first place. Hmm. I, I agree there. I, I, I think providing that they preserve a non-ad tier, um, I think that just adding that value is fine. Um, I am... I am pretty uh, put off by the idea of the ads personally for something like Netflix. I'll say that Netflix really established some things. They have historically been the the uh, iPhone of, of streaming services to me where they were kind of the progenitor and they did some things that nobody else was doing. They had the streaming original content, you know, high quality stuff, um, very scalable uh, apps that were on a variety of devices. Um, no ads was a huge piece of it. Um, releasing entire seasons at a time, right? As opposed to doing week over week. Um, I think that they, uh, I think that they have sort of set a tone that other companies have certainly waded into these uh, darker waters. I, I, I do not, uh, agree with uh, this sort of regression of, of 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 adding ads, and I think in particular one of the things that that is interesting is what you do to the content you already have that may not necessarily be built for ad breaks. That that to me I think makes this a very challenging move. Uh, if you go back to you know House of Cards or beyond, right? I, I'm I'm sure. Right. If you tried hard enough and you threw enough folks at it, you could probably chop up these episodes. But I don't know that all of the content that sits on Netflix today is really built for ad breaks. When you think about network television and and or services that have already been built for ad breaks, there 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 are segments inside of a half hour, an hour long show that already fade to black, right, and are already ready or or already do a cut, you know, because some big revelation happened in eight minutes, and then you know now we got to see a, an ad for Ford or Chevy. I, I think I think if you haven't done that when you are authoring your content, then I think you you can sort it, it sort of challenges the 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 creative part a little bit right um because now you have different folks that are going to be there uh that are are going to take content that was never authored to have ad breaks and they will sit down and say well i'm going to have to figure out every somewhere between every eight to ten minutes i'm going to have to find a commercial break in here right. somewhere and they're not going to go back to the author of the content and say hey 
what do you think? You know what I mean? There, do, do you think I can cut it right here when this person says something or here when they, you know, when the, when the, uh, you know, the, the scene changes, they're just going like, to chop it up. And I think when that happens, I think that that we've seen that in streaming services online that are not nearly as fancy as Netflix. And I, I think, uh, I think it affects the content quite a bit. Um, so it's, I don't mind an ad supported tier, um, but if it ends up being inline ads where, you know, somewhere in the middle of an episode, we're going to get a, a pop-up for an ad. I feel like that, that to me is going to be a lot more detrimental to the content. Um, so that's what I'm yeah. saying. Which uh, I think segues really well into the absolute nonsense that is Paramount Plus. Uh, ah. it, you know, it, because this is, Paramount Plus, which was, I think, CBS All Access before they rebranded and did all of that in the space of a year, uh, is another service that's very ad-focused. And why does anybody have Paramount Plus? Because you like Star Trek. It really would be you know, the main reason anybody would be interested in what they have to offer. And you know, they've got some CBS back catalog, and they were always the one network that didn't play well with Hulu and even on uh, the HD home run prime, their networks were often encrypted when they were not supposed to be under the cable card rules. And, you know, they've got some stuff, but mostly if you like Star Trek, the only way to get it right now is Paramount plus outside the U S Netflix had the rights to Star Trek discovery and these other Star Trek shows, because there is no Paramount plus in the EU and other countries. Netflix has now lost those rights and they're planning on launching Paramount Plus in other countries, but not until sometime in 2023. And so it, you've got this situation where all of these networks, all of these content providers want to have their own streaming services like Paramount Plus, but they're not offering it. So you have only one way to get to content and a lot of people can't even get there that way. So there's like, literally no legal way for people to acquire this. I don't really know what they're doing. I, I don't know what Paramount's plan is, what their execution is. I have to imagine at the core, all of these companies like money. They want to make money and they have people who want to watch their shows and have absolutely no way to do it. And I just, I don't know what the answer is other than telling people to just go get it until you can get it legally somehow. And you've been kind of a, a stalwart holdout on Paramount, right? Very much, very much. I I, I think I got frustrated because uh, a ways back, um, first of all, I had a a belief that the rest of the industry does not in that um, anything, any channel that I was going to be able to receive with an over-the-air antenna, that's your CBS, your Fox, your NBC, uh, ABC, so on and so forth. If I can get it with an antenna streamed into my house, then I do not want to uh, have to then pay for that somewhere else. So when CBS decided to do all access, I dismissed it out of hand because I would, in theory, be able to put up an antenna. I would use one of the many, you know, uh, technologies available to DVR it on my network and I would, I would, I would capture it there. So wasn't interested in CBS all access. Also, CBS also ended up, uh, they did, a, um, they're, they're, I, I don't know if it's CBS Interactive or, or, or what the parent company is there, but uh, Showtime is actually also uh, owned within that 
Um, so to me, you already have a paid channel in Showtime um, where you can air right. whatever it is that you want to add. Um, and uh, so with having CBS coming uh, over the air on an antenna and Showtime, I felt like CBS was getting enough money. So when I heard about all, uh, all access, I, I skipped it when they pivoted and decided to make it Paramount plus, and then started pulling things out of both Showtime and CBS to put into this content void that they created. Um, <laughs> I, I, I pretty much, uh, I, I just on principle became pretty, uh, pretty yeah. uh, disgusted. So that, that yeah, I, I've been a hold out there. Yes. Halo's in that category, right? That was originally supposed to be a Showtime show. And I think it even says a Showtime production in the credits. Yep. Sure enough. Yeah. Which, you know, kind of leads me to jump into something in the opposite direction. So, Three weeks ago, I think, um, Warner launched CNN Plus, which they were touting as years in development, going to be the biggest thing to happen in news in a decade. And they've decided to end it today, uh, you know, all of three weeks after it launched. And I believe Warner Media recently merged with Discovery. And so the new company that used to be Time Warner and used to have AT&T involved is now Warner Discovery. And it sounds like the new leadership team is very focused on the idea that they only want to have one streaming service for all of their properties. And, you know, I think this is kind of the opposite of this CBS plus Paramount plus Showtime where it's all of this content. You could have a really great streaming service that competes with Netflix and Hulu and Disney, which is doing, I mean, Disney has all of the properties that you want. Uh, even Apple TV is making, you know, a competent effort, you know, for what they're doing. And I think if you did combine all of Showtime and all of Paramount Plus's stuff and all of the CBS stuff together, you'd have a compelling package that would make sense. So listening to Warner pull their marquee news streaming service after only three weeks, in one sense, it seems totally chaotic that they put all of these years into this and then they're canning it three weeks after launch. In another sense, it's delightfully refreshing to see a media company saying, we're going to do make more money, have more customers if we pull everything into one service so they don't have to go into four different buckets for the different content they want. Uh, so I was kind of impressed by that. Uh, I, I don't know if you had caught wind of that, if you knew much about what they were trying to build with CNN Plus, but it seemed kind of nice to see for a change somebody pulling a streaming service and saying, you know, we may bring this back and we may fold it into HBO Max or something like that. I, I hadn't heard much about it. I, I, I did mean to ask about that. And uh, I, I will say my experience was that I had seen it advertised here and there that CNN Plus was coming and I truly in all the ads that had come across my eyeballs i had not once seen a single show that was going to be a cnn plus exclusive not one and so i have no idea what was going to be on offer there so to me it seemed like it had to be some version of what i could already get through cable right what i would already right. be able to see just watching cnn um i also the the pivot point for cnn in particular for me seems a little bit weird because to the extent, you know, uh, wherever your political beliefs lie, it is considered a news channel. And I, I, I think that that was a bit odd to me because I, 
I feel like, and maybe it's our generation. I, I hate to say those words sometimes, but maybe <laughs> I, I feel like news has always felt more like a, a public service, right? And, um, and uh, this probably unpacks a topic that I'm certainly not qualified for, and I'm probably not awake enough for after all my fruity pebbles from last night. But I, I that's I will... what we do here is zombie political commentary. So let's get right into it. Let's get right into it. Yes. <laughs> I can't think of any, anyone less qualified than myself in my particular state to talk about this. So we should jump right in. Uh, I, I think that my, uh, my thought around it is, is, is simply that, um, and I mean, you know, going way back to, you know, the olden days of news, you know, and, and early television, um, that, that news was this this uh this this uh lightning rod for families at the end of the day to kind of you know huddle around a TV together and experience news um and this feed that would sort of you know inform the the the, the families around the uh, America I, I feel like and you know I don't mean to you know take that away from it being more global I'm just thinking back to you know the my very limited right. experience in the, in the universe uh, and I feel like um news has certainly gotten bigger there are more news networks um it has gotten way more um exciting um and not necessarily I don't mean that in a good way um I I, I think uh the merely having factual accounting of data and facts as much as that can be objective when other humans are involved um, has started to fall by the wayside and lots and lots of bias, you know, gets crept into all the news networks everywhere. Um, and I, I think that um, this weird sort of idea of a paid tier for news um, that sort of builds almost an exclusivity around it um, has felt to me to be highly odd. Um, so irrespective of whether you think CNN has got the, the most objective news or, you know, is the news that you identify with the most or however you want to characterize it, um, I feel like having a paid tier for news fundamentally misses the point of what I thought news was when I was a much younger human being. Um, so that, that part has been yeah. weird to me. No, I, I think that makes total sense. Uh, you know, you get from news as a service to news as entertainment. You know, you're giving your viewers what they want rather than what they need. And so whether it's Fox or CNN or MSNBC or network news, I think, you know, I'm old enough to, have some respectability when I say this, but when CNN was founded, it was founded as a conglomerate of all of the cable companies putting it together really to fulfill this public access need as cable was overtaking over the air. And one of the reasons why network news existed was that was part of the franchise agreement where you had to devote a certain amount of your programming if you were going to use those airwaves to public service. And so broadcast news came about that way. And cable news network, CNN, also came about that way, where the idea behind it originally was to be a public service. And even things that are you know, government funded, like PBS, have now taken on a pol political tilt to people who may not agree with the content that's coming out. And we can get into a healthy debate as to whether or not that comes about when facts are repugnant to a particular listener or whether or not bias creeps in over time or whether that's more of an institutional worldview. But no matter how you slice it up, 
we now have CNN owned by Warner Media, which is an entertainment company. So of course they're going to look at paid tiers and they're going to look at, you know, news biopics and news shows that maybe get into a topic, but have more in common with, you know, a, a Dan Burns documentary than they do with an actual, you know, 30 minute news hour where they're reporting on the facts on the ground. And there's still shows like that out there, but it's, you know, without getting too heady about it, it's hard to pick about, pick apart where that public service is, you know, where we can find that, non-bucketed, non-this is for you people in red states, this is for you people in the blue states, and just find somebody explaining the news in a way that is just what the facts are and that has universal trust because I think there are shows out there, there are probably reporters out there who take journalistic integrity very seriously, and we've still reached a point where there are going to be enough people who are not going to believe anything that is inconsistent with what they already believe, which is human nature to a certain extent. But I think we've become more insulated as the internet has let us find our tribe, no matter how fringe it is, and find the people that will echo and repeat our views and not really challenge them. So when we turn on the news and it's saying something we don't agree with, we get our hackles up and decide that that particular show is biased or that it's just not lining up with the worldview, so it can't possibly be right. Um, I don't know how I possibly went into that uh, rant at all. We should instead talk about what to do about the fact that you can't get content the way you want. I like that. I like that very much. So, yeah, you know, I've been kind of itching to talk about this for a little while. Uh, You and I both went down parallel roads with home servers uh, I'm going to do the thing I do and put you on the spot only because you were talking about all of the murderous IT work you were doing all week. Um, talk to me about home servers uh, in the basics. What are they? Why do we want them? Why should somebody who fixes their tech problems by unplugging it and plugging it back in uh, even think about having one? Yeah, uh, I will uh, again do my best, uh, given the uh, uh, lack of sleep I'm running on. Uh, I am actually, while I am talking here, uh, I am really transparent to the user. I am stalling because I am looking for a very specific folder that I wanted to share. I want to say, I think that that's probably it. Boy, I don't know. I'm going to conservatively say that I started the kind of home theater journey right in and around 2004. I'm going to say 2004 is what I'm looking at here. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think so. I can probably get a more exact date for the next pod, but I, I um, had uh, for a long time uh, one of the things that uh, I had started uh Gosh, wow, this was, uh, yeah, this would probably be around 2004 as I'm looking at it here. Um, Cataloging uh, my digital life uh, and uh, doing that in a a way that wasn't dependent on the uh, computer I was using at the time. So I would, of course, have a desktop computer that would be used for gaming or be used for, you know, uh, 
productivity software, doing my banking, whatever, you know, what, what people use their workstations for. And what invariably happens, I think, uh, with folks who uh, really do most of their computing on that particular device um, is a lot of your digital content, be it documents, pictures, music, movies, what have you, that all ends up sitting on that same workstation that you work on day in and day out. Um, and I think that that's problematic. So what I uh, decided to do, and, and for me, again, kind of being in this IT industry for a very long time, my workstation would always be kind of a work in progress. I would, the newest versions of Windows or, you know, trying out Linux builds or, you know, uh, you know, putting all kinds of, you know, uh, drivers that were experimental or overclocking and, and uh, you know, really pushing on the hardware that was there. It made for a less than reliable environment um, on that workstation. And so to have that also be something that's very rock solid to hold my documents, uh, to hold my pictures, you know, to anything that yeah, I had value uh, in my digital life uh, assigned to, I would it would it, it would kind of it was kind of at odds with that idea. Um, so I'd started quite a long time ago uh, in terms of just building another desktop, another workstation, um, usually laying a server operating system um, on there, whether it be a Linux build, it would be a, a Windows build of some kind. But I would put something on there um, uh, that was supposed to be a whole lot more rock solid. It wasn't messed with a whole lot. It sort of sat in the corner. You know, I'd have a KVM uh, attached to it so I could, you know, uh, you know, use a mouse and keyboard on it and see video on it if I needed to. Um, but it was really sitting there and it was acting like a de facto server for many, many, many years. Um, over time, I think you and I both, as you sort of talked about how you're uh, cleaning people or sabotaging your 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 living room uh, every time they come through. Um, I, I think that we've tried our best um, for all of our our nerdery to to make a lot of the the tech that we find to be very cool as accessible as possible for people who do not care nearly as much as we do. Um, so right. that, you know the best of both worlds can exist. Um, so I think having a home server is really no different. Having a box there that will allow you to archive everything and have it there has been uh, pretty big. Uh, it's been been a pretty big, pretty important thing um, to have that be pretty transparent to everybody in the household who might use it. Um, so there have been several iterations of that over my life to kind of uh, uh, kind of make those smaller. One of the uh, things that folks can can purchase they're uh, called network attached storage devices, NAS, NAS, NAS devices, um, and really they are just a tiny cube uh, that uh, holds uh, several hard drives and uh, will uh, and connect that that the network attached part of the network attached storage uh, connect it to your home network so that uh, it can be reached. Um, usually have some sort of software on there that will allow that content to be served out to the network so that it can, you know, be shared with, you know, your family, they can upload pictures to it, they can stream video from it. Um, those have taken on a life of their own. There's lots of different flavors of those uh, flavors, lots of flavors of hardware. Um, you can also roll your own hardware, build just a smaller PC, a smaller form factor PC, or not a smaller one if you want a nice big tower in the corner somewhere. Um, and then lots of different software solutions there as well. I've run a Windows uh, home server. Uh, that was actually a, a version of Windows back in the day, Windows home server. Um, I've run Windows server. Um, I've run a few different variants of Linux. Most recently, I, I started playing with Unraid um, as a... Uh, 
a, uh, a version of, of my home server um, to kind of handle all that. Um, and so that's what I'm working on uh, most most recently, I guess, which is why this topic is very fresh. Um, I think that the value in having a home server really comes down to um, it still all these years later, echoing those same things. There's a lot more capability today than there there was several years ago um, in terms right. of taking that same content and allowing it to be published out into the internet and uh, either to share among friends, um, getting all the way back to our, our Netflix conversation of a very small group of folks that can uh, also take part in your media, um, or really just being able to reach it when you are away from home. Uh, so, you know, going on vacation, but uh, having, you know, a, a, a season of television that I had on DVD that I, I copied off of those DVDs and put onto the server so that I can, you know, watch it when I'm on a beach or at a hotel or somewhere else, or, you know, when I mentioned going down to Texas, being able to still access my media when I'm, when I'm not home. Uh, so I think, uh, I think that those capabilities have expanded over time. Uh, one of the back ends is called Plex. I, I don't know that we'll take a ton of time talking about that today, but, but that is a, is a great way of, you know, having all your content cataloged and, and ready to be served out so you can reach it when you're not home. Um, but I guess in a nutshell, that's home servers. That's what I have always done is I, I've, I want it to be a, uh, repository for all of my digital life. And I, I've wanted it off of a computer because I really do feel like, and this might just be the systems engineer in me, but I think your workstations are very ephemeral. They're, you're not supposed to think about having a laptop or a desktop for 20 years and everything just sits there and right. cruise on it. Um, so having something that can hold all of that, if you had to cycle out to a new laptop tomorrow, I think it, it, it frees you um, technologically. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, I do want to get, I don't think we'll get too into Plex, uh, but I wanted to share a little bit of my journey on this because I also went the network attack, attached storage, the NAS route with a QNAP, which is an off-the-shelf pre-constructed uh, piece of hardware. And the reality is, I think there is uh, something that has to be said when we talk about this because it is still a computer. It's a it's a tiny computer. It's only about the size of the you know four hard drive bays for the one that I picked up. But it's got a processor. It's got a system on the chip. It's got you know an HDMI out if you actually need to plug it in and get to it non remotely. For me, the thing about an ass uh, where I want to get it off my gaming rig, which is what I was using as a service server, is you and I rebuilt my gaming rig fairly recently and brought it up to your place. And, you know, that entire time was time that there was no server at home. So if I had pictures, movies, shows for the kids, stuff on Plex that was going on, that would be decommed for a solid, you know, 48, 50 hours, however long we were working on it. So I think there's something very true to that. There's also something conscious about it. You know, the energy draw for a true NAS is generally going to be a lot lower. You know, the power supplies are much more nimble because they're not running powerful processors, video cards. Uh, you know, it's really just uh, they need enough power to run the drives themselves uh, and then the system and the chip. So they're efficient. They're much more appliance-like, easier to access uh, the base. Uh, you know, as we went through building a server, it's very hard to get a case that isn't a dedicated NAS case that's going to have those in front swappable base so if a drive goes down it's all good uh you know the thing i wanted to talk about with qnap and then kind of pitch it back to you for unraid uh 
you know, I'm buying a QNAP and I'm onboarding it at a time where their reputation is kind of in the toilet. One of the things that some of these companies and Synology, I think, is the other company that does these kind of off the shelf uh, NAS boxes that uh, get the job done. And what I would say about the two is QNAP is kind of more Android. Synology is more iOS. And I mean that in the most reductive way I possibly can, as insulting as possible to both platforms. So what I'm trying to say is that QNAP lets you get a little more under the hood. You can actually wipe your QNAP and put Unraid on it. You can also install third-party stores to get other apps. And that's great. That's also why their reputation is in the toilet, because they're very susceptible to hacking. And so if you expose their dynamic DNS system so that you can log into my home server at my homeserver.com, then anybody's going to be able to get in there. There's just not great security for that. And so it's not super for that. And if you're going to share something out, you're better off on the NAS itself, mirroring it with Dropbox or OneDrive or one of these other services. It lets you say, here's a folder and we're going to share this folder with your existing service, which is a much better way to go about that. Um, but the one thing I did this for was I really wanted to get my photos backed up. Uh, I'm an iPhone user. I have been for a number of years before then. I was an Android user, a Palm Pre user, a Windows Mobile user. Uh, I've been all over the place. But with both Android and iOS, so iOS or Apple Photos and Google Photos, neither one of them lets you back up your stuff independent of their services. Uh, Google did for some time where they moved it into Drive. And so if you went to your Google Drive folder, you could get to a folder called Photos and they've taken that away. And so the only way to back up is to put the Google Photos app or the Apple Photos app on a computer locally and sync it with that. And that's just not good enough for me. You know, I don't want all of my photos to be owned by any one of these companies. I want the original full frame of all of the pics of my kids and dogs, because that's other than screenshots, all I do with my camera, um, most of it in low light and high motion. So I have a lot of blurry pics that could be furry dogs or could be a child running by. It's not clear, but I still want to archive that. Uh, <laughs> and so I went through a lot of pain to figure out how to get my photos onto my QNAP and there was a solution. The solution is on my phone, make sure that I have Microsoft OneDrive syncing instead of Google or any other service. And OneDrive will mirror and give me an actual folder that's a one-way backup to the QNAP. It took me a long time to figure that out. And I'm grateful that the QNAP, which was not wasn't trivial to set up. You still had to build the drive. I think at one point you yelled at me because I threw in, you know, four eight terabyte drives and set up um, RAID 10 and uh, started building them and then immediately started butzing with it like 10 minutes later. And <laughs> what I really needed to do was butts with it like 36 hours later. So, <laughs> you know, it really isn't in that sense, totally plug and play. And, you know, we can get heady about, you know, how RAID works and why you actually have to let the drive structure and the mirroring and striping build. But, you know, I mean, I'm very much a consumer in that sense. And so I found that the QNAP was kind of a happy medium for somebody at my level where I'm 
able to get into a console. I'm able to do terminal commands. I don't like spending more time in there than I have to, but I was able to find an officially licensed app that links up with existing cloud services to let me sort of do this thing so that now I've got a great archive of all of my photos, all of my wife's photos and everything's just dumping into the same, you know, lifetime photo folder that we now own. And it's not tied to Apple photos. It's not tied to OneDrive anymore. It's just, you know, that's really the OneDrive is the transit for me, but it's not the owner. And so we have photos that are just files like they used to be, mm. which is nice. So, you know, all that is to say that I think the QNAP is a pretty good choice if you're moderately technical. Uh, at some point, it might be worth picking up Synology just to see if that's something that, you know, we recommend to people who are much more plug and play. Uh, but there's also like Western Digital has, you know, their MyDrive cloud storage systems that you really just plug into the back of your router and it's already got the hard drive installed and it goes. Um, Unraid is way geekier, but I think it's also probably way more powerful. So since you've been through so many more of these systems, uh, how have you liked Unraid so far? What was it like to build? Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a cool system. I, I do like Unraid. Uh, some of what I was kind of staring down the barrel of, too, was that my needs did change. The last iteration of my home server was actually running Windows Server 2016, I think it was. Um, you know, it wasn't out of out of uh, support just yet, but, you know, that would be something I'd be staring at. And I, I realized a full lift. Uh, Microsoft had uh, something called um, Windows Server Essentials, um, which I think was a terrific fit um, for, you know, my household at the time. Um, very cost effective. A lot of the pieces of that, they ended up stripping out um, when they got into Server 2019 and Server 2022, uh, where the Essentials piece was really just a licensing uh, boon, and they w aren't even for 2022. It's very difficult to actually get the uh, essentials only license without also purchasing some sort of hardware with it. Um, so Microsoft for their bit, seems like they're just trying to get out of that business. They don't, they don't really want to have a home server, you know, as something that they support anymore, um, which is fine. I mean, I, I, as a systems engineer by trade, I can certainly handle, uh, you know, big boy version of server, but it's also, you know, overly bloated for, you know, what I'm doing on, on, uh, at home. So, um, stepping away from that, looking at some other, uh, options out there. Um, I guess it's TrueNAS or FreeNAS is one of them. I think it was FreeNAS. Now it's TrueNAS. It's one of the solutions. Uh, right. Unraid is one of them. Uh, Proxmox is another one. Um, so there's some, I'm pretty sure they're all based on variants of Linux of some kind. Um, and uh, they all have their ups and downs um, that I looked at. I think the actual file system for TrueNAS was actually the the kind of the coolest of all of them in terms of uh, it uses what's called ZFS, which is like a self-healing filing file system. It's you know it's fairly robust. Um, the Proxmox is is built primarily as kind of like a hypervisor, which means that you can run virtual computers, um, and and so that seemed pretty powerful as well. I don't know that that one necessarily was going to fill out everything I wanted because it didn't really sit in the middle of those two things, which is something that was storage first, but also would allow you to run applications next to it. Um, so I think that's where I landed on with Unraid. 
Um, Unraid's nice in that the OS actually sits on a USB thumb drive, so you really aren't blowing away anything on, on the server. If you don't want to, you can actually boot off of that that thumb drive as a matter of fact, you have to. Um, and so uh, that was a, a piece that, you know, made it a little bit easier to kind of settle in there and, and give it a shot. So um, popping that in. I can't stress enough that it is it is Linux, um, and uh, despite some incredible uh, evolutions around Linux, and there have been some truly incredible ones, I, I I do feel like you're always going to, and I say this having not only just played with Unraid, but getting brave and putting the most recent version of Ubuntu on a laptop that I, I was messing with just a little bit ago, um, really beautiful, robust stuff that has come out of the Linux world. Um, uh, but it isn't Windows. I don't think it's ever going to try to be um, beyond the initial coat of paint when you get in there. Um, I, as soon as I, I installed that distro of Linux on that laptop, I started messing with uh, trying to install some programs to uh, look at some old hard drives and make sure that they, you know, were either healthy or not healthy. And uh, just the, just the experience of of trying to install some of these applications and and uh, and work through them and uh, it, there's just a lot of uh, pieces of Linux that admittedly I'm not quite as familiar with as I am in, as I am in the Windows world but are also just a, not nearly as um, uh, user friendly uh, to deal with. I think that transfers into using Unraid. Um, Unraid comes up and is configured via a web interface, so it is certainly user-friendly enough, um, but I will say that there's some some pretty heady technical choices and things that you're going to have to figure on. Um, you'll have to understand uh, the hard drives that you have installed, um, how to uh, divvy them up in terms of which is going to be used for cache, um, for quicker storage versus more of like a cold storage with slower drives. Um, per folder, you have to make decisions about where you want things to hit first and then second, mm. um, or not first and then second and stay in one or the other. Um, and if they're moving from one and then moving to the other, when you want them to move. Um, and so I think some of those decisions really require you to know why you're making some of those folders and what those folders are going to be doing from a work perspective. Um, some of the use cases I had around using Plex, for example, um, and having an external drive and kind of having to trick Unraid a little bit to understand how to use that for the things I wanted to use it for. Um, uh, understanding what containers are is a big part of uh, 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 using Unraid because when you want to run an application, most times in Unraid, unless you're setting up a virtual machine that has Windows on it on Unraid, you will have to uh, create a container, um, which is like a mini virtual machine. Um, when you create a, a container, you have to know how to create the, the uh, container configuration file and uh, edit it if you needed to, to do a certain thing every time it boots up. Um, those are not trivial things. If anybody's listening and hears those things and that sounds like they're freaked out, they probably should be because those things still are not simple to do. Um, I would like them to be simpler, and I do not believe that the complexity that uh, they have is necessarily always... Uh, warranted, um, but uh, but they are non-trivial things. They, there is complexity around them, um, and so uh, I will give a ton of credit to Unraid. The reason, uh, one of the other reasons why I finally fell towards Unraid was the community support for Unraid and the folks that are out there doing uh, work to make Unraid uh, something that's 
available um, for folks to use that have very little technical knowledge is vast incredible community probably one of my favorite communities uh in, in tech right now I, I am i am blown away by how many great articles that other unraid users have written and put up um on on wikis and uh forum posts and um you know of course you're going to find the non-helpful person in every forum but 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 right. largely um outstanding outstanding just i mean really almost anything you would want to want to do uh uh, in in Unraid, somebody has already thought about doing it and has an article for you on how to do it with some step by steps. Um, great uh, YouTube tutorials. There's a guy named uh, his handle is Space Invader One, uh, which is a great handle um, out on YouTube. And he, I don't know if he's actually employed by Unraid or not, but for years now he's just been putting up YouTube tutorials uh, that uh, kind of walk you through just about anything you would ever want to do in Unraid. Uh, watch several of his things. Definitely, if you get interested in Unraid, go check him out, Space Invader 1 on YouTube. Very, very, very uh, uh, to-the-point uh, videos, a plethora he's, he's, uh, he's put out there. Um, and uh, so it's, it's great from a community perspective, but it is, it is, uh, is uh, non-trivial is the best way I could say it. It is difficult to do in a way that is not plug and play, is not what we assume the Synology is going to be. Um, I do love the flexibility because I can get in under the hood and, and, and make it very custom to what I would like a home server to do for me. That is great, um, yeah. But, uh, but man, it is, uh, it has been something. It has been a lot of learnings, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of tweaking. Yeah, it definitely. I think we should play with the Synology at some point because it seems like that is the, the evolution of how much time you're going to lose versus how much benefit you're going to get, where I think the Synology is probably the base of, hey, you want some storage in your home, plug this in, I'll walk you through it in 10 minutes. The QNAP was, for me, you know, a few hours of setup, but, you know, a very nice web interface where, except for the places where I was trying to do something that it didn't really want to do out of the box, I was able to do that mostly in the GUI without getting too far in. And it sounds like Unraid, you know, unless you know what Docker is and how to deal with containers, it's going to be a pain. I, I'm guessing there are some uh, pre-built containers like you would get on a web host where, you know, if it's a very specific thing that somebody's already built, there's a container out there that you can pull in with less overhead than some of the things you might have been doing. But it sounds like it's still not for the everyday Joe who just wants to throw a bunch of hard drives in and back up their stuff. Thousand percent. You you hit it on the head. I, I think, and I really did settle with the handful of Docker containers that are, you know, pretty well community supported and you know fairly easy to set up. Um, but again, it it is, I, you know, I don't mean to get too deep in the weeds here, but for example, the the Plex Docker container that I set up. Uh, one of the things I needed to do was to set up an external drive, external to all of the drives that were inside of. Uh, the Unraid build, you know, physically inside of the chassis, um, just so I could use that as a secondary drive for TV recordings. And um, you have to be able to go in and edit configuration files to do that. Like that isn't just something you do. Um, whereas pivoting over to uh, installing Plex Media Server on Windows is really just pointing it to a folder. You plugged in a USB drive, you point it over there, and you say, yeah, I want you recording over here. And it just put, you know, and right. right away it goes. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that this is, you know, 
days of work or even hours of work, but it is potentially hours of study and understanding where that stuff is and understanding that Linux file systems are different um, and what Unraid calls all of these uh, drives and, you know, where they have to be and then what a container does and, and how it, you know, some of that base knowledge is, is important if you want to be able to have the flexibility that Unraid can provide. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think that's, uh, it's been, a, it's been an interesting journey for sure. I, I, I am sure that there are much more complicated Unraid setups than I have. I, I'm not here to tell you that, you know, I spent, you know, weeks tweaking, um, this highly specific thing that no one else could possibly do in a million years. Um, I did, yeah, I, you know, me, uh, from a technology perspective, as much as I love the industry, I also try to reduce complexity wherever possible. And, and, uh, it, it is, it is just so much more about studying and knowing where things are than it is anything else. You know, it's a, it's a highly unique thing. I don't know that those skills are necessarily transferable outside of RAID, on RAID. So I, I think that's something <laughs> right. to consider as well. But uh, anyway, um, I do love it. I do think it's, it's very powerful. And again, the community really, I think is the thing that I think knocks it out of the park. I think without that, I'm sure I would have abandoned it and run back to windows just because it wouldn't have been worth it, even if I could have figured it out myself. Um, but the, the community being there and, and, and uh, being able to find all these articles and forum posts of, of folks that have had similar questions, similar issues and, and, and pushing through has been an outstanding experience. So we are closing this episode out a little differently than how we started. It is now bright and early in the morning. And instead of kicking back to close our night, we are starting our day with the last 10 minutes of this show. Had a couple of technical difficulties and that's all part of the learning process. But instead of shaking off the dust with this coffee, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, some of the shows we've been watching, enjoying. Uh, I wanted to kick in. Have you tried Moon Knight yet? I have tried Moon Knight. Uh, that that's one that uh, I share with my uh, my son. Uh, he is thirteen, about to be fourteen, and uh, he and I kind of catch all the Marvel uh, Disney Plus shows together. And so, uh, you know, as time allows, you know, between uh, you know dinner times, bedtimes, and all that kind of stuff, uh, sometimes we don't always catch up to it. So we are two episodes in with Moon Knight. Uh, is where we're at, um, and. Uh, uh, that's such an interesting show um, for Marvel, I think. Uh, not necessarily in terms of, you know, reluctant hero, you know, superhero origin story stuff so far. It seems, you know, I mean, it's, it's it, that, that piece of it to me seems rather uh, straightforward, at least for now. I, I would say that the way that it's... Uh, created i think some of the um ways that it handles the violence especially in that first episode i thought was uh was very clever um it's clever in a way that i, I didn't expect uh a marvel show to to do um so yeah but i'm um, two episodes in how about you yeah no i think i'm caught up on it and uh, you know i keep getting more cynical with marvel as years go on and the disney acquisition it's just Sometimes it feels like there's just too much content. And when I heard the Moon Knight announcement, it really felt like we are really scraping the bottom of the barrel to find new comic stories to tell. Uh, the reality is this all started with the only property they could get, which was Iron Man. And they built an absolute empire out of it. And the thing that I have felt with the past 
couple of shows with Hawkeye, WandaVision was a bit of a standout. But there's a certain amount of Marvel sameness to them. And that's very comforting. The way a Trek show is comforting, the way Star Wars is comforting, save episode nine, which we don't speak of, uh, where, you know, it may not be something that's going to get an Oscar this year, but it's always something that's very good, very slickly produced, but there's something to expect from it. And with Moon Knight, I feel like they leaned a little more into some of that, that humor that DC gets when they go for, you know, something like uh, Peacemaker or Doom Patrol, where it's something that's kind of really off the beaten path. And there's sort of like this downtrodden hero and it feels very much like they're getting that that balance in this show between being a little bit more fun without losing that Marvel magic that makes it happen. So, yeah, I'm kind of surprised. I'm enjoying it. I uh, think it's a wonderful antidote for the medicine that is Ripper Street that you've had me on a steady diet of. But, which it, it builds it builds the muscles dude it builds the muscles yeah you know I, i've been devouring that at your request and i guess that shows a, a couple of years old i don't know if it's still in production or you know when it's over it's over um do you know are they yeah. all done with it uh, totally done it's five seasons total and uh it is uh it is a completed thought it is one of the reasons i uh i recommended it because i i, I think that uh I love, I, I know we've mentioned a bit before and we'll probably come up with it again. I love long form entertainment like like games and TV shows because there's a lot of space for a narrative to breathe. Um, there is something that happens there, that kind of addiction of Monster of the Week, depending on what the, the show is going to be or, uh, or just that it's a commercial success and they're just going to supernatural it until you're, you know, I don't know, 84 seasons in and you're, you, you know, and now you're doing spinoffs and, and whatever. And I feel like that sort of misses the point of long form. I think you can just tell more complex narratives, but still have an ending and still finish what you're doing. Right. And, um, so it, it is one of the reasons I recommended Ripper Street because it does end. It ends beautifully uh, to me. I thought it was a, a very interesting way to end things. Uh, um, excited to talk to you about that too. But uh, what a wonderful ride along the way. And by wonderful, I mean very painful. But, uh, but also it, it is, yeah, it's painful. There are definitely people I would not recommend the show to just because it is so dark. And when they deal with death, there's just so much emotion and weight to it. You know, it's never the... CSI finding a body in the back alley at the beginning of the episode. And then we talk about how horrible that was. Like, they really show you a darkness that uh, I'm not altogether useful used to uh, on a lot of my TV consumption. You know, there've been a couple, it brings me back to a much less wonderful show, Nip Tuck and the first season the episode with rocket man that's all i'm gonna say about it but mm. you know just the raw energy surrounding a moment of death and ripper street just does that episode after episode where you're just like holding your teeth and clutching your pearls and holding back and like oh god no this is terrible why can't we all just live uh, mm -hmm. so i love it you know nine out of ten stars definitely worth nine checking out, out. <laughs> yeah absolutely fun for the whole family so i know we've got to wrap up uh we 
recorded just over an hour last night. And so at some point, uh, people's phone batteries are going to die if they just keep listening to us. Uh, right. So let's do that. Uh, closing message, I think, is uh, make sure you subscribe to our show. Uh, like us, five-star reviews. Please. Tell your friends, families, uh, frenemies, uh, anybody you think would like to hear two guys talk about tech, culture, life, and everything else. Please do it. We're here. We're here every week. Excellent.